0: Well, over the course of time, uh, missionary work uh, and the pace of missionary work has really sped up. I mean, you think about in the days of the early church, travel was slow and laborious. Um, even a hundred years ago, to travel from one continent to another continent took weeks, if not months, to make that journey across the ocean. Uh, but with the onset of, of air travel, missionaries today are able to, able to travel the globe many times. Uh, in a year. like they just I mean, you, you can be almost anywhere you want in the world in 24 hours. Almost anywhere you want. But that was not always the case. Uh, I've told you before about uh, William Carey, one of the founding members of the Baptist Missionary Society in England in 1792. Uh, he was their first missionary that they, they ever sent out. And so he left uh, England in 1793 and never came home. Just think about that. He goes to the mission field and never comes home. He faithfully ministered in India for over 40 years and never came home. I mean, the slowness of travel and the commitment to the work in India really is what, what prevented that. I mean, it took seven months for him to travel to India in the first place. So for him to come back to England and come back means that it would cost him more than a year of ministry. And uh, he just never came home. He found his home in India, and he ministered faithfully there. And Judson, almost the same story. He was the first missionary sent overseas from America. America sent plenty of missionaries into the, the West, in the wilderness, where the Indians were, but he was the first one sent overseas. He was sent out by the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions in 1812. and he ministered in Burma for um, 30 years. And life in Burma was hard. I mean, it took seven years before he had a single convert. After 12 years of ministry, there were 18 converts. Then in 1824, after he'd been there a dozen years, war broke out between Burma and Britain. Though he was from America, he spoke English and was identified as a spy. And he was imprisoned for 17 months in this cell, this prison cell that was overrun by rats. And it was so difficult for him. The only reason he survived is his wife, Nancy, just made sure that Adoniram had received enough food and medicine to survive in prison. And soon after his release, Nancy died just because she was so spent in giving herself, ministering to keep Adoniram Judson alive. And then the child who they, they had was born, um, she died six months later. Just the, the toll of caring for Adoniram Judson in this difficult prison cell was difficult many missionaries by the way would have returned home after they got out of prison right let me go home and let me regroup but Adoniram didn't it was was so far it was only when his second wife Sarah fell sick that they felt in those days the best way to cure sickness was to get out to sea and so they got out to sea traveled back to America and she died on the trip he just threw his wife overboard carried on And he came home for just a short time, married his third wife, Emily. Then he finally returned to the mission field where he died just a a few years later. His missions uh, back in those days were different than today because travel took so long. Um, But in our day, right, you can travel so quickly. And missionaries are always going off and coming back and going out and coming back, coming in. And then it's wrong. It's good. But it's the reality of our travel capacities that we have today. And it's been interesting also with covid covid has really shut down much missionary travel um, now it's just starting to increase again as the world is beginning to open up but i i have a bunch of missionary friends right, who travel all the all over the world training pastors and um, a lot of them have been home for a while but but now with the world opening up they're, they're picking up the travel and this is a friend of mine he works for a Master's International Academy. His name is Tim Carnes. Uh, and I knew him from California when I was in seminary, and she's in college. He's, he's been there for about eight years. He does what Word Partners does. And he hasn't died yet. That's why there's a dash after his name, and um, he's he's still living on. And just this last week, for the first time in two years, he wrote, After two long years, I'm finally heading off for my first international trip to Pakistan. I'm looking forward to preaching at several churches, teaching an expository preaching conference, and doing the first face-to-face preaching lab with pastors in our training group. I'm greatly looking forward to meeting these men in person and ministering to them for two weeks as I'm there. And I think Tim is there just even right now uh, with all those pastors there in Pakistan. Um, And you know what? That's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. We see some missionaries who've been home for a while. And now they're beginning to pack up and, and, and to go and to be able to get back on the mission field. Missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, have been abroad for their first missionary journey, but they've been home for a while. And I, my best guess is they've been home for maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, maybe two or so, just kind of like COVID, right? But now, um, in our expedition of Acts, we're going to see Paul launch on his new journey, what's known as the second missionary journey of Paul. His, his first mission trip was the first missionary journey, and now he's got the, the second missionary journey. That's the beginning of Acts chapter 16. So you can open your Bibles there. We're going to look at the first five verses of Acts chapter 16. And uh, Paul's first missionary journey, of course, you know, is recorded for us in Acts 13 and 14. We, you've seen this map on the screen over and over again, and because it's good just to be reminded of where they were. If you remember, it all started in Antioch. Well, there's some worship leaders, some people together gathering in worship. Um, Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3, speak about how they're ministering to the Lord and, and fasting. And then the Holy Spirit spoke and said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And off they went. Barnabas and Paul went out with the gospel. And it makes sense that the Holy Spirit would, would guide them to do so. As the Holy Spirit said, Set apart Barnabas and Saul. Because the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 said you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and here it is even to the uttermost parts of the earth and the Holy Spirit right guided them out as they went to the ends of the earth Paul and Barnabas got on a ship they sailed down to Cyprus where Barnabas was from they preached the gospel throughout that whole island and then they got on board a boat again and headed north across the sea into Pamphylia, where they headed north and land to Antioch. That's Antioch in Pisidia. Pisidian Antioch rather than Antioch in Syria, from which they had started. And they entered a synagogue and were asked to preach like their custom was. And Paul, as surely happened to other place, laid out the gospel. And many were saved, including many Gentiles. And yet there was opposition. The Jews were jealous they stirred up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they drove them out of their district. And so they landed in Iconium where again they preached the gospel and saw a great number both Jews and Greeks, I'm sorry, I went backwards, but they saw a great number of Jews and Greeks believe the gospel and again they were persecuted. So they went on to Lystra an attempt to a, and, and there even they continued to preach the gospel and in Lystra Paul was stoned and left for dead. But he rose up and continued on his way, preaching eventually to Derby. And then after making a stop there, he retraced his steps all the way back home, finally landing back again in Antioch. Missionaries today would call coming back in Antioch their time on furlough, right? As they were were home. And Acts 15 is their furlough. Um, Some of that time was spent in Jerusalem arguing for the purity of the gospel. They were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, You don't need to subject yourself to circumcision and the law of Moses. Rather, just believe and trust in Christ. And he's the one that forgiveness of sins is received through. And at some point, Paul then said to Barnabas, Acts chapter 15, verse 36. We looked at this last week. They said, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. It's a great idea. And Barnabas agreed. So they're going to go to these different cities, right? They're planning to go through Cyprus and Planning to go to uh, Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And to see how these, these disciples were in these churches that they established. But they couldn't agree on whether to take Mark or not. Barnabas, being Mark's cousin, wanted to take Mark along. But he deserted them in their first trip. And um, so Paul said no. And, and sadly they couldn't agree. They went their separate ways. And so Paul, uh, Barnabas went down to Cyprus. And Paul then walked north up to get to those those cities as well. And a new journey requires a new map, but this map is a little bit bigger. There's our old map, and uh, here is our new map, kind of a, about like right where things are. We're going to see Paul going way out, I guess what it is, way out west. He's going to go way out there to Macedonia and Achaia on, on this trip. And you'll see a map just continually, just kind of give you a mindset of, uh, of where things are. And so here we are with our, our new map, And you'll become familiar with this as we trace Paul's journeys, right? He's going to go up north into Asia and then he's going to go across into Macedonia and Achaia. Well, first off, we notice that there is Antioch from which everything starts. In chapter 15 and verse 39, we see Barnabas and Mark sailing off to Cyprus. Just that's where Barnabas is from. Let's go back there and let's see how they are in that church. But then we see Paul and Silas... Heading north on land. Chapter 15 and, uh, and verse 40. Verse 41. And he went through Syria and Cilicia. Strengthening the churches. And so chapter 16 really opens up with Paul and Silas. Uh, arriving at Derby and Lystra. Places where they proclaim the word of the Lord. And now we begin our text. Acts chapter 16, 1 through 5. Paul came And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them, for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Now, these verses describe Paul and Silas picking up a, a traveling companion, Timothy. You remember when Paul and Barnabas went out, they had a traveling companion. His name was Paul. And now Paul and Silas pick up this traveling companion, Timothy, and, and Timothy will prove himself to be of great help to Paul and his mission of spreading the gospel throughout the world. thus, the title of my message this morning is Help for the Mission. That's what Timothy was for Paul. He was help. In fact, what Timothy was to Paul, right, we are all called to be. We're all called to be help for the mission. And now, this help may be traveling, just like Timothy did. Right, traveling along the way, going off to some place where there's there's missionary help needed. Right, but most likely, probably, this is not going to be the case with you all. It it may be staying home and holding the ropes. Do you remember who talked about holding the ropes at home? Anyone know about that phrase, holding the ropes? William Carey did talked about William Carey earlier, but he talked with his good friend, Andrew Fuller, who was part of this missionary society, and and, and he was about to leave for India. Carey made this comment to Andrew Fuller. He says, I will go down into the pit if you hold the ropes. So in other words, right, William Carey saw his mission to India as going down into a pit, right, going down into some type of mine, maybe maybe like a a water in a well. And as he's going down on that bucket, he needs someone to hold the ropes to keep him down. Not let him go to fall, but someone back home was going to fully support. And that may be a way you support today, is you you support however you can, whether it's financially or texting or encouraging or or whatever, as people are on the the mission field. So as I preach a text this morning, we look at how Timothy was a a help for the mission, really the the application comes to you all. How are you helping in the mission, spreading the gospel? We're called to do in the book of Acts. Because our mission at Rock Valley Bible Church is really to spread the gospel throughout the world. We're, you know, their, their time was just spreading it out where Christ has not been known. Our task really is here where Christ is known really well in some regards. I mean, Jesus is known, but Jesus is not known in our culture today. But our, our mission is similar to be lights in a dark time. And, and we're called, acts to be my witnesses. Now, it may not be to India with the gospel, but it's to be a witness of Jesus wherever you go the team of acts and I I'm just trying desperately to do that as, as well as I can and so one mission field I have is, is in pool and, and I was playing this past Monday and things were, were winding down and and there's a retired guy there who's got like a million dollars in IRA he's got a, a very nice severance pay from where he is he just turned 65 so he's on Medicare now he's kind of like got his world just kind of set and, and as things are winding down there are probably about four or five of us there just kind of still hanging around playing. And he says, you know, guys, I got a question for you all. He says, where might be a good place that one might live out the rest of his days on earth? And so kind of as I, I was there, I, I, I was taking my shot at that time. I said, you know, my wife's from California. And that's a pretty nice place to spend the, the rest of your days on earth. And then once uh, there, was a, there was a guy there also, he said, oh, San Diego's pretty nice. San Diego's pretty nice, of Yeah. Huh, <laughs> gonna be super nice. It's like all year long, like perfect weather. And then a guy talked about, well, you know what, the, um, um, I, I, I forget. the, the Caribbean Islands are pretty nice. Like the Virgin Islands, there's still like some American influence under some American uh, territories. And so you get some American benefits still there. That'd be good. And the guy was like, yeah, maybe. That'd be kind of nice. But, you know, that's sort of, you know, island life is kind of expensive. You know, and he's, he's got his house. a big old house. He's content. He doesn't have any children, not a wife. And he's just looking where to spend his days. And I've been memorizing the fighter verses this year. And I'm thinking about Psalm 16, verse 11. Which I'm not sure if any of you are, are going at those verses this year. But it says, um, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I said to him, I said, you know I know of a place where there are pleasures forever. And he's like, "Uh, what are you talking about? I said, I'm talking about heaven with God. There are pleasures forevermore. He kind of rolled his eyes a little bit. Um, and, And then he said, what kind of pleasures? I said, exactly. The pleasures are going to be far greater than any pleasures that we have here on earth forever." And then he transitions right to this. He says, Well, the Catholics say that you can pay in order to go to that place. And I said, Well, the Catholics are wrong. It's free. You simply believe and trust in Jesus. And you can be with Christ forever in this place where the, the pleasures will be everlasting. And he kind of sneered. It's kind of like <laughs> okay. Has zero ability to see a spiritual realm. For him, everything is material. But that's our mission, right? To, to take the gospel to those who live in darkness and to speak the truth in an attractive and winsome way that people might hear and, and might embrace. And, and maybe, just, maybe he'll just hear and think about what, I have, what I've said. Has I been a witness to him and a testimony to him over the weeks and he knows what kind of life I lead? Perhaps that will strike him and he'll believe in Jesus. But our, our, our aim is to be lights wherever we are. And for me it's a pool and because that's I gotta work really hard. For you all it's a work, right? For you all it's your neighborhood and our our place is our neighborhood as well. Like just wherever you are with unsafe people, get a place where you're with unsafe people and really pray that God gives opportunities and just whatever you've been thinking on, whatever you've been reading, whatever you've been studying, whatever you've been learning, like just let that flow out. as you speak with people. Well, my first point this morning is as we look turn our attention here to the text and turn our attention to Timothy, I'm a helper identified. He's identified here simply with the name Timothy. Now, from the rest of the Bible, we know a lot about Timothy. Uh, Paul wrote two books to him. Do you remember, kids, what what books he wrote to Timothy? Timothy. Not Timothy. First Timothy, second Timothy, Timothy, right? Two books of the Bible, really easy, like. And uh, these books are often called, help me, pastoral epistles. Yep, there they are. They're pastoral epistles because... They are written to a pastor giving him pastoral, spiritual leadership instructions, pastoral advice. Timothy was a pastor leading a church in, do you remember? Church. Ephesus is where he was. And in fact, when we go through Acts, we're going to find in Acts 19, the church at Ephesus beginning. And uh, so it's going to be kind of interesting there. The, the church there begins on the third missionary journey. We're going to see Timothy there as a pastor of the, the church. And Timothy was a lifelong support to the Apostle Paul decades after these events. I mean, this is right where Timothy and Paul right, come into re- right, really meeting, though probably, if you trace back, it was probably Timothy who came to faith, met Paul on his first missionary journey when the gospel came. Timothy ever believed, and then within whatever, a year or two, by the time Paul comes back again, he identifies the growth in this young man and then takes him along. But decades later, um, Paul would be in jail. Timothy would be ministering to him. And he writes to those in Philippi. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Right? I want to go and send him to Philippi so he may see how you're doing. He'll come back and tell me how good you're doing and therefore I'll be cheered. And he says, Paul writes to Timothy, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. No one like Timothy. Like that's that's how great this helper becomes. Like like right next to the apostle Paul. It used to be Paul and Barnabas. Well from this point on it's gonna be Paul and Timothy joined at the hip in ministry. Not always together, but sometimes apart and just helping him. And and Paul came to love Timothy as his son. In fact, he was his spiritual son, is what he said. Probably converted through Paul's preaching. He says, I am no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. What made Timothy great was not his love so much for Paul as much as love for the people of God. And as Timothy loved the people of God, Paul loved Timothy. He says, they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Such was the admiration Paul had for Timothy. But, but that's all future Right? Re- regarding um, the progress of the book of Acts, we're going we're gonna to see that. That's Timothy in the future, but this is, we just see him in seed form right here. We find Timothy introduced for the very first time, and at this point in time, he was a young man. I mean, even after the multitudes of travel they did with Paul, Paul still referred to him as a youth. In First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Timothy was now pastoring the church in, Philo- in Ephesus. So they have gone, planted the church, and kind of gone on, and um, uh, Timothy was back there in Ephesus, and he admonished him, First Timothy four twelve. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, Timothy. But rather, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Right? You're young, and people are you looking at you as young? He says, don't don't do that. But right, but walk so much in purity that that people would see your conduct, and your faith, and your love, and not have anything bad to say. But you would would walk, and then he would silence us. Oh, he's a pastor. Yeah, but he's so young. But his life is so solid as his trusting in Christ. It's really a good word for you young people here today, especially as we look at Timothy even in here. Right? Just think of yourself. Are you, are you like this Timothy? Are you, are you ready and willing? Are you wanting to go on mission with the gospel? Are, are you a help to the mission with the gospel? Timothy was one who walked in, in righteousness. <coughs> Now, Timothy was, was young here. If he was young in his time in Ephesus, he was young here. And, and, and any guess on a date would be speculative at best. But my guess is maybe 16, maybe 20, maybe a little older than that. I, I'm not sure. But he's a, he's a young man showing great promise. Well, Timothy is also identified here in verse 1. If you look, it's the son of a Jewish woman who was a, a believer, later in 2 Timothy uh, we read about Timothy's mother and her name is quizheim Lois. Lo- Lois. Eunice Lois is her his grand grandmother right your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and um, these were godly women um, Paul described both of them as having a faith that is a, a trust in Jesus they both taught Timothy the scriptures and Paul would write later in 2 Timothy three fifteen about his childhood. That is his days in Lystra and in Derby, where he was from. Right? His days, he says, From childhood you've acquired with the sacred writings which have been able to make you wise until salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Sorry, you've been acquainted. From childhood you've been acquainted. I just read it wrong. You, from childhood you've known the scriptures. And these are able to make you wise in salvation. How they know the scriptures, right? From mom and from grandma, teaching you. He was homeschooled, with mom and grandma, teaching, and he knew the scriptures and he loved the scriptures from a, a little boy. He loved the scriptures, and then when Paul came as, uh, as, as bringing Jesus, the fulfillment of that, he believed and embraced with his mother and with his grandmother. And just with the story of Timothy, all of us parents have reasons to rejoice because Timothy was a godly young man, even though he grew up in the midst of a wicked and pagan society. Do you remember what Lystra was like? Remember when he's traveling through and he comes to Lystra? Paul is there and he sees this man crippled from birth who'd never walked. And he said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And the people saw it. And they said, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker, and they were offering sacrifice to him, to them. Now they didn't understand this because they were speaking in the Lyconian language. Right? They thought, oh, they're receiving the gospel pretty well. This is pretty good. And then finally they found out that this pagan culture was worshiping Paul and Barnabas as these deities. It's kind of that's the culture of the day. That Timothy grew up in. So here was Timothy, though. He didn't follow those pagan practices. He followed the ways of a Lord, he followed the ways his mother taught. And that was really against the grain, because in Lystra, as best we can tell, there was no synagogue. Paul's habit in going into a city was to speak first to the synagogue. But in Lystra, there is no record of, of that. He spoke in the town square. Yeah, here was Timothy, without a large synagogue, it was a small church. It was like Rock Valley Bible Church, smaller than Rock Valley Bible Church, because we were like a synagogue, but maybe like two or three families, Lois and Eunice and and these people and these people, and just maybe just a few was good enough for him to go against the whole culture without a large synagogue, without any synagogue, he was living for the Lord. So parents just know our society is not much better than Lystra, but our Lord is the same. He can preserve our children. Your children can walk in righteousness. And children, if you're here today, realize you don't have to go the ways of the world. You can be a Timothy. You can serve the Lord rather than going your own way. You can be like this boy. So children, just just know that. You don't have to get older to serve the Lord. You don't have to get older to help in the mission. You can serve the Lord now. Seek his ways. Prepare to be a great help for the mission. Well, Timothy not only had a believing mother. um, It says right there, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. That is in contrast to his mother. His father um, was not a believer. That's the only assumption we can get here. I mean, he, he followed pagan practices of those in Lystra. Who knows? Maybe he was part of the crowd that wanted to offer sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. We, we, we don't know. But here he was. He was a, a, an unbeliever. And here we have Lois and Eunice, right? the, the godly line. And uh, just be encouraged, single parents. Be encouraged that, that God can preserve your children. Even in the midst of pagan society, even in the midst of a marriage that isn't so good. That's Yes, I'm believing. My husband isn't believing. Or my husband's gone. I'm just all alone. Yet God can still work. He preserved Timothy. He can preserve you. Well, there we see the helper identified. That's Timothy. Now, secondly, we see the helper's reputation. Again, this is kind of the same thing here a little bit, but it says here in verse 2 that he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. In other words, Timothy had a good reputation with those who knew him. And this is a blessing for Timothy, right? Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. And that's what Timothy had. Timothy had a good name, which is worth far more than, than treasures. Right, as, as people talked about Timothy, they, they talked about him well. And, and certainly that's one of the reasons why Paul wanted to bring him along because of his reputation, because he had a good name. Right? When you apply to a job, future employers, if they're good employers, will ask you for some references. right, So they can understand right get call someone up and talk with someone to see like what sort of person are are you are you are you dependable do you show up work on time are you a hard worker right Uh, those those sorts of questions they want to see whether you or not you'll be a a trustworthy hire and when it came to timothy's references they were all stellar like all a plus over the top those who knew him in, in iconium and those who knew him at lystra had good things to say they may have said things like timothy's a quality man dependable in all his ways, honest as old Honest Abe. Well, maybe they wouldn't have said that because that mixes history, but they would have said the same thing, right? He's an honest, dependable, hardworking, clean-cut guy. But beyond these moral qualities, I'm sure Paul heard many spiritual qualities as well. Because Look again at verse 2. It says this. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. The brothers, that's another word for believers. Those are heard Paul, as, as, as he came through and preached at Lystra and Iconium, they had come to faith and trusted in Christ. A, and, and these were believers, and these were, these were tested believers, right, who surely began to taste some of the hardships that Paul had warned them about. Remember when Paul went back through? So he went to Iconium and Lystra, and then when he came back through, he, he had some messages for these people in the churches. He, he urged them to continue in the faith. This is not something that you just believe once and just kind of let go. No, continue in it. Believe on it. And then he said, through many tribulations you'll enter the kingdom of God. It's not easy being a Christian, but it's through these tribulations and it's pressing on that you'll enter the kingdom of God as you continue on And and perhaps they faced some persecution from outside, and certainly, right, the Jews at this time—you just read it at Antioch and and Iconium and Lystra. These these Jews, like stirred up people, you're believing in the Messiah? No, that's wrong. And they they would might stir up persecution. Some of them may have been banished from the district, as Paul and Barnabas. Maybe some of them would have uh, had some homes destroyed. Like I've been on the mission field. I remember Ivan and I went into uh, India. Um, What was the place we went again? It's called uh, up in India. Uh, Arunachal Pradesh, that's right. Right? Arunachal Pradesh? I should know that. That's the name of a country. But we went there in uh, the town of, I think, Mishimaro was at the town? I forget. And uh, we, we had dinner right there at this place um, where, I don't know, several years before, these were the first Christians in the village. And the village was so hostile against them that they burnt some of their house and they kicked them out and they were exiled out of their home for so I remember like seven months or something in that realm, until finally some reason could be talked until they could back return into their home. And I'm sure that probably faced here as the gospel going into this pagan place. Just pushing people out and, and excluding them and just saying no, no, no. What are faced face some hardships. And, and maybe these, these tested believers were the ones who spoke highly of Timothy saying his, his faith is true. It's been tested and proven genuine. In fact maybe they had some stories. Where Timothy was ridiculed. Down at the school. Or by the others in the square. Um, maybe, maybe others were, right, were trying to get him to sacrifice. But, but Timothy stood firm. And maybe he had some financial sacrifice. He was making for following Jesus. Remaining true to his savior. That was his reputation. And, and I think that helped Paul. Want to bring him on the journey. In fact, that's what we see at the beginning of verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And Timothy was willing to come. That's my third point, a helper's willingness. And we see Timothy full well knew the sacrifice it would be to join Paul on the journeys. I mean, Paul had seen the way, uh, Timothy had seen the way that Paul had been mistreated in Lystra. He, right, because he heard the gospel the first time, and he saw, or at least maybe he heard, or he heard the stories about how just yeah, just right down there on that street, right at Alpine, right, Alpine in Harlem was right there where where Paul was stoned, right, and then they dragged him beyond. They dragged him into Rock Cut State Park, and they left him there for dead. That's what happens to people who who proclaim Jesus. Timothy would have fully understood and seen that, and, and he knew how how leaving his parents would. Would lead to a difficult journey with Paul. But Timothy was ready to go. So I've taught my kids many times. Um, None of them are watching online today, right? But sounds dangerous. What's the next line? Count me in. Sounds dangerous. Count me in. And that's with Timothy. He was willing to face the hardships and dangers that come with the gospel of Christ. Because he believed and trusted in Jesus, and no sacrifice was too great for the one who sacrificed his life. For us, You know, this reminds me of the story of Adniram Judson. So I started uh, my, my message with this morning when he was soon to be sent out to India, which eventually landed quickly thereafter in Burma. He was 25 years old. And at 25 years old, he was looking for a wife and found this Nancy girl. Anne Hazeltine. She's called Nancy. And uh, she found, he found her. They'd met two years earlier at the the church where Nancy's father was a deacon at this church. And Adoniram, shortly before he left, wrote a letter to Nancy's father asking permission to marry her and to take her along her missionary journey, on his missionary journey. Here's what Adoniram Judson wrote to Nancy's father. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means, from eternal woe and despair. Paul could easily have written a letter similar to that to Timothy's parents. Because Paul knew full well the dangers that Timothy would experience along the way. They would not be so different as what Adoniram Judson would experience. Pagan culture, hard hearts, difficult living situations false accusations, imprisonment, deprivations. Well, Nancy Hazeltine's father left the decision up to her. They said, Nancy, it's your decision. You want to go? After a bit of wrestling, here's what she wrote to a friend. Her friend's name was Lydia. Lydia's not here today. But we'll get Lydia soon, in a couple weeks in Acts 16. She says, I feel willing, Lydia... And expect, if nothing in providence prevents, to spend my days in this world, in heathen lands. Yes, Lydia, I have come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here. Sacrifice all my affection to relatives and friends. And go where God in his providence shall see fit to place me. She counted the cost. And was willing to go. And life was hard. It cost her a lot. This wasn't, this wasn't some pristine Disneyland sort of uh, mission. This was the nuts and bolts of the difficulty of missions. Ed and I, and Nancy married in 1812, and two weeks later, they embarked on a mission trip. Now, any of you who have been married right, for more than two weeks know that leaving for two weeks forever from your home is probably not the wisest, best thing to do. Think so? (laughs) It's very difficult. So, Yvonne maybe experienced some of that. That we're married, and within two weeks, we've come to the tundra in Illinois rather than California. But they're married two weeks later, and she never came home. She died 14 years later. She died due to the harshness of of life there in Burma. She had three pregnancies. The first ended in miscarriage, the second, Roger, died when he was eight months old. And the third child died six months after Nancy died. Nancy died because Adniram was in prison and the prison was so awful that she was just trying to get him any food and any drink and water and medicines that she went out uh, outside of the prison were we're talking with all the people and just, please, my husband, I need some things. And she begged to get whatever she could to get to her husband and she herself became depleted and passed away soon after he was Released from jail, and the child experienced that as well. In fact, he had, she had to give her child, who was newly born, to, to other women to nurse their child for, because she was so depleted she didn't have any milk for their child. And that was Nancy Hazeltine's the life that she signed up for, the life that she was willing to live. And so, parents, I, I really ask you: Parents, are you willing to let your Nancy go, if that's what it meant? To go and spend their lives in the heathen land never to see you again. I mean today we have FaceTime, right? Today kids come back all the time. But are you willing? Or are you willing to be Timothy to, to go? Timothy was was willing. He had a willingness to go. He wanted to go, but there was a problem. Timothy had not been circumcised. That was a problem. His father was a Greek in verse 1. Therefore, as according to custom, he was not circumcised according to Jewish custom. So that's what we read in verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Here he was, willing to count the cost, willing to suffer this small surgery. Are you willing to suffer a small surgery, which hurts a lot more than our small surgeries hurt today back then, with little anesthesia? Or is pleasure your number one thing you're seeking for in this life? I mean, if some sort of physical procedure, some sort of pain was required to follow Jesus, would you do that? Temporary? Like, maybe wear a mask? Its OK? Been amazed at how many people would refuse that on Christian liberty. But if you're following along in the book of Acts, right, you know how strange these words are. Chapter 16 comes on the heels of chapter 15, and chapter 15 was a Jerusalem council that determined that the Gentiles were not under any obligation whatsoever to be circumcised or to keep the Mosaic law. In fact, this very mission that Timothy would be on would be to deliver the letter. That said, no, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You don't need to submit to the Mosaic law, you Gentiles. You don't need to be circumcised, you Gentiles. Right, salvation is free. You simply believe in Christ and you have forgiveness of sins. It's yours. You don't need to put yourself under this. That was the very mission he was going on. And on that very mission, Paul had him circumcised. You say, why? Why did he do that? Well, the simple explanation, I think, comes in verse 3. And he took him and circumcised him because, right here, because of the Jews who were in those places. In other words, right, in the context of that day, the mere fact that Timothy was not circumcised would have been a stumbling block for Jews. So Paul took his liberty to have Timothy circumcised. Now, it's not for salvation, The decree from Jerusalem made clear, circumcision, law-bearing, has no bearing upon one's, uh, law-keeping has no bearing upon one's salvation. In fact, it's interesting, in in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul speaks about bringing Titus to Jerusalem, probably the Jerusalem council. And they're deciding about the circumcision issue, uncircumcision issue. It says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, that even Titus, who was a Greek, they did not compel him to be circumcised. So he was rejoicing in the freeness of the gospel uh, as he's writing to the Galatians. that, That even here is this uncircumcised man. The Jews accepted him as uncircumcised right then and there. And the council didn't order them to be circumcised. But the council didn't forbid circumcision either. So in order to remove the stumbling block for the Jews, Timothy was circumcised for the sake of the Jews. He was circumcised. Galatians 5, six. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but faith working through love. That's what counts. It's not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision. It's not some ritual. It's not some doing this. It's not some doing that. It's faith working through love that ultimately counts. And Sir Timothy's circumcision then was an act of love. Maybe you need to act in love towards your neighbors in some way. Bend, if you will, for the sake of your neighbors, your unsaved neighbors, those who might be offended with something that you do or think. I, I spoke this week at lunch with a, a man. He's a, a Christian minister. In fact, he's going to speak here in a couple weeks. And um, I'm at youth camp. He's going to be here. Eric's his name. And uh, he told me about, uh, I've got some neighbors and uh, these, this, isn't, this isn't right, but something about it, the, the neighbors. Yeah, their names are Natalie and Amy. And they're living together. And so you can fill in all the blanks with that. But he's just been stretched in love. He and his wife, like, how do you love them? And how do you, they're neighbors. They need Jesus. How do you do that? And so ways in which he has been stretched in love Right, not, to, not to let religiosity like, continue to build a wall up, but right, to work to, to tear that wall down. And as Rosaria Butterfield has, has very well said, right, when, when dealing with people in the homosexual community, you, you need to make sure that they, they can be accepted. Right? And, and you accept them, but you cannot affirm what it is they're doing. And there's that, that line that you, you, sort of, you sort of weigh. But they have become friends with them. They've even got some foster kids now that are theirs. They've offered to babysit for them, or just help. They're just reaching out in love. What does it matter, right? All the church things that we do, all the, the church attendance or the the church singing, whatever. It's faith working through love. It's not circumcision or uncircumcision. Well, finally, we see the helpers' mission. We read that in verse 4 and 5, and with this we'll transition to the Lord's Supper because it's fairly straightforward. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered for them, for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So their first mission that Timothy joined them with was to deliver these letters. And that, of course, is a letter back in chapter 15. Um, where Paul or the apostles wrote in chapter 15, verse 23. Here's this letter that was written. It says, The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Right? And that's just right where they are. Greetings. He says, Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us to troubled you with words and settling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Paul may have had some questions there about why isn't Barnabas with you, but that's where it was. Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what's been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. And and so Paul and Timothy and Silas, their mission was to bring this letter to the, the churches there in southern Galatia to explain to them how the Gentiles don't need to be circumcised to be saved, how though they should abstain from these things abhorrent to the Jews, Sexual immorality, things sacrificed to idols from blood, from things strangled. They should abstain from those sorts of things for the sake of unity. But this church should be there, a great unified church of Jews and Gentiles whose racial divergence is far greater than black and white in our country today. They should live together and they should figure out how they can live in harmony together. And the whole idea of this message was a message of church union that they went out and they brought, they delivered these letters it was the decisions, it says in verse 4, it was the decisions that reached by the apostles and elders who were at Jerusalem. This is the letter. And they, they came in person, not just a, a letter sent, but they came in person to clarify anything or to talk with them about it or how it might work out, the great vision of what they saw about a unified church. This isn't, Christianity isn't about a Jewish church following Moses and the Messiah and a Gentile church just following the Messiah. No, this is about Jew and Gentile together together. That was their mission: it was a mission of love to bring them together, and also their mission was to strengthen the churches. Verse five: so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And this word "strengthened" right comes from the Greek word "sterizo" steroids. Right? They, they just built them up. In fact, we saw that at the end of chapter 15, 15 20, 41. and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So I might ask you, right? How do they strengthen churches? How would Paul and Timothy and Silas, how, how would they strengthen churches? You ever thought about that? Give them memberships, right, to peak fitness? Maybe that would strengthen them. No, I don't think so. How are you strengthened in the faith? you, you strengthen the faith by gathering, by, by hearing God's Word taught by being reminded of the gospel you know even on my way to church this morning i, just, I was just thinking right I'm driving here why in the world do we do this like really that's a serious question to all of you why, why are you coming on Sunday like I just think about you know whatever Joe six pack in the world where he's you know had been out late Saturday night and went out you know didn't get to sleep till two in the morning and kind of slept in his joy is sleeping and he's still sleeping right now right why not be like that why do we come here? Why do we make a sacrifice? Why do we be here? Because we want strength for a spiritual life. In prayer meeting, we went over Psalm 103. We understand that God is to be blessed who's blessed us. He has uh, forgiven us all our iniquity. He heals our, our diseases. He, he redeems our life from the pit. And, and the pit, what, what's that talking about? It's talking about a, a life that's, that's gone, like the people in the jail life we talked about. And how many people do you know, right, who have been living life in the pit and have come back from that? How many of you have been in the pit before, but God has brought you out of that? That's why we come here. Because we know that here is where spiritual strength is, where people are, where God's word is, and where the gospel is. And that's really a, a perfect transition for us. We think about the Lord's Supper. Right? That is the gospel. right? So, so here to fresh. Right? The gospel is that we were dead In our transgressions and sin. And we were living life in the pit. We were far from God. We were estranged from Him. We were under His wrath. As children of wrath. We were without God. Without hope in this world. But God in His mercy brought to us Jesus. Not because we deserved it at all. Not because we were good righteous people. But He brought Jesus. Who came upon this earth. And And he lived the perfect life so that he might die the perfect death, dying for all who would believe in him. So that the wrath of God that was upon us for our sin fell on Jesus instead. And we simply believe in Christ and we're made right and made whole and made pure. And God looks at our faith and counts it to us as righteousness. Because Christ, who knew no sin, then became sin for us on the cross. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And we simply need to believe and trust in Him. In Jesus is forgiveness of sins. You don't have to give money. Like my friend said, oh, the Catholics say you can buy your way to heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. Isaiah 55 says, right, come and drink, buy without cost. It's free, it's there, it's Christ. Now, it demands a lot. There's a cost to following Jesus for sure, but but God gives the power to transform. It's not that you need to transform in order to get that. It's that you believe and trust, and he gives you that and empowers you in that way. And that's what we celebrate then with uh, the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the fact that Christ Jesus came and he died upon the cross for our sins, that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead, according to scriptures, to give us life. And his resurrection was true and real. Now, we might think it's impossible for dead people to rise again. It is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so that's what we rejoice in, the fact that Christ Jesus died on the cross. And the, the bread represents his body, as he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And the cup represents his blood, the the, the shed blood of a new covenant that's been poured out through Christ Jesus. And that's what we will will celebrate him in a little bit. We're going to sing a song first and then, uh, and then we'll come back together and we'll eat of the bread and we'll drink of the cup and just rejoice in the gospel. This is a way to be strengthened, by the way. To be strengthened through the message of grace. You've been strengthened by coming, right? but you'll also be strengthened by just affirming again. Yes, I'm trusting in the cross. I'm not trusting in my righteousness. I'm not trusting in the good deeds. I'm not trusting in a good person. That I go to church. That I've never been in the pit. No, we're trusting that Christ has brought us out and has redeemed us and made us whole simply by faith in him.